We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Morning all. Hey Andy. How you doing? Okay. Right, I've been looking forward to this one. Right, so uh, I want to talk to you about a sharper witness today. So if you are aware of the series that we've been on so far, so about three weeks ago, John spoke about um, the battle cry, that God is calling us to respond and react. It's almost like the, the captain that's leading the rest of the troops out of the trenches. And so... We thought, okay, we want to respond, but how? What is the thing that he's asking us to do? And so uh, we, we, then, sorry, we then looked at this idea of households together and the ministry of the Spirit. And we believe that God has called us to a great project like he's called Nehemiah. And he said, um, we don't want to get distracted. We want to be focused on what we've called, called for. And so we got three pieces of the puzzle that we know. And there's probably some other pieces that will be revealed in time which we're not quite sure what they are yet. But there's the three that we've got. We've talked about households together with Christ at the centre. Last week, John talked about ministering the spirit. And then I'm going to be talking about having a sharper witness today. So when we've talked about sharper witness, the way I've described that is we will be forced to reveal the source of our power in order to remain relevant. We will be forced to reveal the source of our power in order to remain relevant. Okay, so let's break break it down. So, revealing the source of our power, what do we mean by that? Well, here's some scriptural basis. So, Joseph had to reveal the source of his power when he was in front of Pharaoh. Because he was interpreting Pharaoh's dream and he said... I can't do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Daniel had to reveal the source of his power. When he he was speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he said, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mysteries that he's asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mystery. So he's given credit where credit's due. In Zechariah, it talks about it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by the Spirit of God. We've got to recognize what is it that enables things to change. Then when you look in the New Testament, John talked about Acts 3 last week, when Peter prayed over the disabled, the beggar by the door. What he said was, in the name of Jesus. So he's revealing the source of his power all the time. What do we mean by the idea of remaining relevant? Well, you become irrelevant if you're not willing to answer the question that's being asked. 
Esther had an opportunity to be relevant. So she's having this discussion with Mordecai. So Esther is the queen. She's, she's a Jew, and she's the queen of um, Persia with the king at, at the time who had just passed a law that was going to annihilate all of the Jews. And her uncle or cousin is saying to her, look, this is why you've come to, come to the palace for such a time as this. This is your opportunity. And so her, her cousin says to her, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your fa father's family will perish. And who knows that you've come to your royal position for such a time as this. So Esther, she had an opportunity in front of her. But if she doesn't take it, God would just use someone else. Though she's in the palace, in a place of influence, means nothing. She would become irrelevant if she's not willing to make use of it. I think I've shared in the head a, a story that Tim Keller uh, spoke. He's a pastor in New York. He talked about meeting this woman um, at the end of, end of one of his teachings. And he said, what, what brings you to church today? And so she said, well, I work in, in advertising in New York City, and I've always had bosses take credit for my good work, but I've never had a boss take blame for my failings until this last week. I made a mistake. My boss took the blame at a cost to his career prospects. And so I went to him and said, why did you do that? And he said, oh, I don't, don't mention it. Don't, don't worry about it. But she said, no, tell me. She asked him a direct question, and he had to choose to answer it to remain relevant. And his answer was, well, I'm a Christian, and I believe that God took the blame for me, which means I'm sometimes inspired and sometimes able to take the blame for someone else. He had a sharper witness. Now, imagine a setting that we might be in. So imagine we've met someone in the community through some of the, the work that we do at, at the hub, and we have public health knocking on our door. And they're saying, how is it that, that Mrs. X has got better since she's been involved in your community, whereas all the medical interventions that we've prescribed seem to have done nothing. Now, we could answer that with, oh, well, we're just an inclusive bunch, really. And I say, no, what's your secret? We want to know the answer. We want to know the source of your power. At that point, we have an opportunity to say, we know a God that was so committed to including us that he laid down his privilege, came to earth, to live as one of us. And because he was excluded, to the point of execution, he brought us into his, his family for eternity. This same God is calling and enabling me to lay my life down so that I can include others because he loves and values them. 
there is an opportunity to remain relevant. If we just went with our first answer, we'd become irrelevant because we've not answered the question that's being asked. So, how do I sharpen my witness? Well, you have to be faithful to what you've witnessed in both words and deeds. If you imagine a courtroom setting, a witness is only called to the stand if they've witnessed, they've seen or experienced something. What have you experienced? What have you witnessed? What, can, what have you got to be faithful about? And you have to be faithful to that. What have you seen? It doesn't matter what you feel about it at that point in time. When they're interviewing you on the stand, they don't really care your current feelings about it. They want to know what happened. What did you see? What did you witness? If you're not going to be honest about that, then you are not going to be called to the stand. You're not going to have that opportunity. And we should expect that as a witness that's called upon, we will be describing things that other people haven't seen. If everyone's seen it, why would they need you to come and give witness to it? But as I say, it's not just in words, it's also in deeds, because in Matthew 5.16 it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So keep in mind, when we're talking about witness, it's not just words, it's also, also deeds. How else do I sharpen my witness? I need to be ready to tell my story. Paul was ready to tell his story. It says in 1 Peter 3.15, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So, Paul, he had a he, he was prepared, even when he was in front of a crowd that wanted to beat him to a pulp. He saw it as an opportunity to share the hope that he had. Or when he is before King Agrippa and, and, and Festus, it's just any chance to share his story. Can you tell your story in 60 seconds? That was a challenge that Randy gave us. Could you... Give the before, the middle, and the after. How were you before? What did God do in that moment? And what's it been like afterwards? I'm going to give you a little test. So I'm going to turn to the person next to you. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to think it up. Then I'm going to give a minute for the first person to say, and then a minute for the second person to say. See how far you get. So pick, pick who you're going to have. Your, pick your partner. I'm going to get my timer ready. Okay, right. You don't need this much talking for picking your partner. Right, okay, now you've got to be quiet. Shh, stop talking. Right, in silence, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to think of how you're going to say it. Here's your 30 seconds, starting now. Don't need to be talking, you're thinking in your own head. 
Okay. That's your 30 seconds. Now, whoever's first, your minute starts now. Okay. Right, that's your end of your minute. Stop talking. If you've only told them how, how terrible you were, that's all they're going to know. All right? Now, the other way around. The partners now say go. That's your minute up. Stop talking. All right. Put your hand up if you think you managed it. Did you get your whole story in a minute? Owen, no, not a chance. Not a chance could you be that concise. All right, put, put your hands right up if you managed it. OK. So what I'm getting, that's probably about 30 33% managed to do it. So it's a good thing to practice that. If you had your time, what would you say? How quickly could you say it in? And it's a good discipline because it helps you weed out which points aren't really important. There's, um, when you are looking for an opportunity to tell your story, you can, you can leave the door ajar that someone can, can push on it. You can leave things hanging in the, in the conversation that gives people opportunity to ask you more about something. My, my dad always uses the line of, well, I, I, I lead a church. And so many people are, oh, really? Why? What, what's that about? How long have you done that for? And it opens the door to then get into the gospel about, about um, why he does what he does. Uh, so it's, 
you could call it baiting the hook, but that's, I don't really like that term. You could have it testing the water. But there's an idea of, let me leave some doors open here that someone might want to explore or ask. I think it's, alert, it's about being alert for every opportunity because you never know who God is drawing towards you or towards him. And you know what? I just want to participate. I want to play a role. Terry uh, King talked about that perhaps there's uh, 12, on average, 12 interactions with the gospel before someone makes a decision to surrender to God. And if I can play my role to be number three in that, I might not, I might not start the process, I might not finish the process, but I want to play my role because I want to partner with what God's doing in people's lives. And that means sometimes you've got to be prepared that something that feels inconvenient to you is actually an opportunity that God's laid in front of you. Randy talked about that flat tire that has now ruined your plans could actually be what brings you into contact with a mechanic that is waiting to hear the gospel, waiting to, to hear what you've seen. Nick was telling me the other week he was in Lidl and he saw this... Uh, lady trying to reach something from a top shelf and so he went and she was just knocking everything over so he, he went and he reached it down for her and as he's doing that he's thinking I wonder if this is an opportunity to to share my faith with this person as he brought the thing down she's standing there with a Jehovah Witness track to give to him <laughs> she beat him Nick said I wonder if she even needed my help she then stood up she was six foot five <laughs> So there's a certain amount of preparation and awareness you can have, but there's also an encouragement in the Bible. Jesus said to his disciples, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what you will say or how you will say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. That'd be fun. So we can do prep. We can think about what our story is. But there'll be times where you, you don't know what to say and you just start and you open your mouth and God uses that willingness. Do you remember um, John Guido's story? So he's naturally an introvert, not, not one to really um, start these conversations, but he what is watching his colleague reaching, reading a book about psychology and the answer to life. And before he knew it, he just said, well, you won't find the answers in there. And then his colleague looked up and said, oh, where will I find the answers then? Jesus! That's all he could get out. He could just get out the name of Jesus. And that's all he had. He had nothing more. There was, there was nothing more in his bag that he was going to pull out at that point. But then the Spirit of God operated through his willingness and gave him what to say for that colleague at that time. So sometimes, just be willing. You don't need to have everything planned out. Start the journey and believe that the Spirit, we sung it earlier, the Spirit lives inside of us. He wants to reach out and touch the lives around us. So be ready to tell your story. I think, enjoy your message. 
says in 1 Corinthians 1.21, God was pleased with the message. He likes the message. And sometimes we can feel a little bit tired and we've lost it. We've lost the, the zing that comes with it. What do we do in that situation? Well, we do what it says in Psalm 51. We, we appeal to God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. God, just help me see this for a fresh. It's just got a little bit dull. I've just lost the, the color and, and the zing out of this. Just restore for me. Help me see it once more. I find talking to people that don't believe it actually the most inspiring experience for me because I'm explaining something that I don't get to talk about in as much depth when I'm talking to people that already know the stories. I heard the story about um, this uh, Tsar Nicholas, I think Nicholas III. Um, He was, uh, sometimes he would put on normal uniform and go and walk around the barracks where all of his soldiers were. And um, one day he, he did that. He put on his disguise and had a little walk around. And he noticed late at night, the light was on in the quartermaster's office. So he's the guy that deals with all, all the money. And he opens the door and he finds this, this young um, military accountant passed out on the desk. And as he looked around, he was able to pick up the clues that were in front of him to figure out what had happened. So this quartermaster had got into gambling and then ended up gambling away some of the military funds that were there to support the soldiers. And he had come to the conclusion, having written down all of the, the figures, that he was never going to be able to pay the debt. And so he decided, that the, the quartermaster had decided, the only thing that he could do now was end his own life. So he'd got his, got his pistol on the desk and he was drinking to try and numb the fear, and he had aimed for 12 p.m. was when he was, uh, 12, 12 midnight, he was going to kill himself. And he'd got himself so drunk, he'd passed out. <laughs> Next to the note that said, who could pay such a debt? Now, Nicholas, seeing this, signed his own name underneath that. And when the guy woke up, he realized what had happened. First of all, There's the dawning dread of everything that I've done has just been found out. But then also the liberation that everything that I've done has been paid for. And the next day, Nicholas sent the money to cover the guy's debt. What a message we have to give to this world. It is such good news. The debt you could not pay has been paid. You couldn't do it. You couldn't get there. But in his mercy, God has done that. You have all you need to live life successfully in your account given by the sacrifice of Jesus. What a joy we have to share this message. What what good news. I mean, they should call it that, shouldn't they? They should call it the good news. How else do I sharpen my witness? Being willing to sacrifice your platform. Abraham was willing to sacrifice the promised child 
He couldn't have a child at, what, what was he, about 100 at the time. God had promised him a child. He didn't think it was going to happen. Then miraculously, Isaac was born. And then God said to him, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. What, the very thing that you've given me, the, the hope that you've given me, the joy you've given me, but this is what you've promised. But this is the very thing that you want me to be willing to sacrifice. So I said earlier, if you don't know that story, he doesn't do it because God tells him to stop. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, Esther also had to be willing to sacrifice her platform. So this, this scene is that when Esther walks into uh, the throne room of the king, she's not allowed to do that unless he's summoned her and she could be killed for this. So up until this point, Esther has survived by keeping her Jewish identity a secret. She's reached this place of, of influence, this place of significance, by playing by the rules, keeping her identity secret. But the season has just changed. And to participate in the next stage of God's plan, she has to out her identity. And it was threatening. If we're not willing to give back to God that which he has given to us, we're going to blunt our witness. If your platform becomes an idol, which is a good thing that has become an ultimate thing, we're going to miss our chance to participate in God's plans. So what do I mean by platform? Well, Platform, it could be your relationship. But I've, I've got to know this person over many years, and if I, if I say what I believe now, if I tell them my story, they might not want to be my friend anymore. Or it might be your job, or even your career. If I, if I say it in this setting, I'll lose everything. Most likely, it's not going to be your respectability. What if they just think less of me now? If you're not willing to give back to God that which he's given to you, it will blunt your witness. And so, we are called to pull back the curtain and reveal the source of our power. So, I'm, what I'm talking about is there's moments of opportunity, and I think they're going to increase for us, where we're going to have to decide, are we going to duck or are we going to dive in? Are we going to dodge and just give the generic, yeah, we're just, we're just friendly people? Or are we going to say, this is the source of the power. This is why I can take the blame. We're going to be asked more direct questions than we've ever been asked before. And you know, the biggest barrier is going to be us. Because we're going to have to get over our own awkwardness of giving an answer. And it's not going to be just enough to talk about principles, it's not going to be enough just to be in the palace. We're going to be compelled to share the source. Otherwise, we will become irrelevant 
because we're not willing to ask the questions, answer the questions that are being asked. How else do I sharpen my witness? Have a little look at this one. This is a test of selective attention. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the basketball. How many passes did you count? The correct answer is 15 passes. But did you see the gorilla? This video is from research by Daniel Simons and Christopher Chabri and is copyrighted. Did you... It is available for use in talks. Okay. <laughs> okay, you're done. Thank you. Did... Put your hands up if you saw the gorilla first time. Put your hands down if you've seen it in the video before. Okay, so a few of you saw the gorilla, even though you were counting the... Did you count the right number of passes as well? No, no, you can't do both. <laughs> So, the, the fifth point, how do we become, how do we sharpen my witness, is about increased awareness of what he's up to. Can we see the gorilla in amongst the normal activities that we're doing? Can we see what he's up to? And this is actually one of the outcomes that we believe for, for ministering in the spirit that John spoke about last time. I believe God is offering us an increased awareness of what he's up to. And that leads to not only a sight of what he's doing, but a, a quicker surrender and submission to what he's asking of us. So in Psalm 27, it says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Are we walking around with an expectation that we're going to see the goodness of God in every situation we're in? Are we thinking that when we're going back to work tomorrow? Are we expecting to see God in those situations? Previously, you might have seen something. I'm completely overwhelmed. I'm just, I'm just counting, I'm counting the passes. That's all I can bring my mind to. But he wants to make us aware of what he's up to. Because God is alive and well and working in every human heart, whether or not we see it. Sometimes we sing that song, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. I want to see him working. I want to be more aware of it. I want to be able to play my role in partnership with him. What shows this? Catchphrase. That's right, that's right. It's good, but it's not the right answer. That's what I always remember. 
growing up in the 80s. He had a particular phrase when people just... So, sorry, in, in catchphrase, you see this little animation, and the idea is that animation sh is, is about a phrase or an idiom that we would use in our, in our culture. And so people would just stand like, oh, I don't know, I, I can't get the clues. And uh, I can't remember his name. What's his name? Roy Walker. Roy Walker, okay. He would always say to help the, help the con contestants, just say what you see. Just say what you see. I believe that's what God's saying to us. Just say what you see. In any situation, just say what you see. You remember John Guido? He said about John the Baptist. John the Baptist just said what he saw. Behold the Lamb. This is what I see. Stephen, just before he was about to get stoned, he just said what he saw. Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He's not saying I'm any better for you than you. All he's saying is, this is what I can see. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. Last week, Tanya talked about what she saw. She just saw the love that God had for that waitress. And she just described to the waitress what she saw. It's not rocket science. It's not about having some ten-part philosophical th theology to be able to download to people. Just say what you see. So, my five things. How do we get a sharper witness? Be faithful to what you've seen in word and deed. Be ready to tell your story. Enjoy your message. Be willing to sacrifice your platform and have an increased awareness of what he's up to. But while I was preparing, I thought, you know what? There's something about the name of Jesus that stuck out to me when John Guido was talking. So, the person next to you, why is it easier, particularly in our culture, to talk about God rather than Jesus? One minute with the person next to you, why do you think that that's so? Okay. Anyone want to throw me an answer? 
Okay, good. Any other answers? Yeah, I, that, that to me is, is, is the essence of, of what I think the answer is. So, sorry, so people are accepting this kind of broad idea that, of, of God rather than once you get to Jesus, it makes it quite defined, and that's, that's really the point. Jesus gives God definition, gives him shape, gives him personality, gives him characteristics. Because the, the corruption of the human heart we want to create a God of our own design. And so as long as we talk about God, my God has a tendency to agree with my opinions. And my God doesn't actually require me to do anything that I don't already want to do. My God's okay with sin. My God's distant. My God's disengaged with this world. My God's given up on this humanity. But when you have a silhouette, when you have the shape of Jesus, suddenly it becomes a little bit more awkward to hold those positions. Because Jesus was a historical figure. He walked this earth. Bart Ehrman, who's a critic of Christianity, but a scholar of, of uh, that, that time, he said, it's striking that virtually everyone who has spent all of these years to attain these qualifications, what he means by that, they've learnt the ancient languages, they've studied the historical fact, is, convinc is convinced that Jesus of Nazareth was a real figure. Okay? It, for those that have actually studied it, it's, it's not an issue of discussion. It's just obvious. Jesus was a real person that walked this earth. People hate Jesus and the cross because it forces us to recognize that man had to die because of my sins. It shows that God's not okay with sin. It cost the Son of God, which shows that God demands righteousness. That's another definition of who God is. Jesus provides us with a definition which removes the chances for us to create a God of our own imagination. Because it's not the Ian in Christian or the follower of in follower of Christ that upsets people. It's the Christ. It narrows down who God is. And the Bible makes that very clear. Colossians 1.15, Jesus, the, the Son is the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. John 1 talks about in the beginning there was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then later in that same passage it says, the Word became flesh. God became human in the form of Jesus. Colossians 2.9 For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Hebrews 1.3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustain, sustaining all things by, the, by his powerful word. 
God didn't want to leave it open to our definition and judgment. He sent Jesus to define him, to show what he is really like. That's why it's harder to talk about Jesus. I think that's why we need to be more willing to talk about Jesus. The other reason we need to talk about Jesus is because the power in his name, there is no other name. Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is the name that we need to be saved. Romans 10, 13 to 14. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Sometimes we, we want to see that someone's moving towards a response towards God. And if we think, oh, we feel reassured now to speak the name of Jesus to them. But what I see that saying is, actually the power to believe in Jesus comes actually in the preaching of Jesus. It's actually the thing that starts the ball rolling in the first place. Philippians 2 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, talking about Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God has made Jesus Lord of all. So it's my reception of Jesus, my response to him, if I surrender the rule of my life to him, is key to my salvation. So one day when I stand before God, God's question is going to be, how did you respond to my son? How did you respond to Jesus? That's what I'm going to have to answer. There's power in the name of Jesus, and Jesus is offensive. So this is from 1 Corinthians. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So there's power in the message of the cross. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but those who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand a sign, and the Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's not just that people have a negative idea towards 
our message or how we express the message or the messenger. And it's not necessarily we just explained it wrong. But God actually designed the message so that it wouldn't be accessed through human logic. The message is designed to cause salvation, seem foolish, invoke rejection. And so it comes down to the condition of the soil, like in the parable that Jesus told. We receive the message based on our heart condition. So the real way to find Jesus is not to work it out. You won't find it that way. The real way is to humble our arrogant selves. So we can't do this. We need someone that's greater than us. Jesus demonstrated that he wasn't interested in making the gospel easy to swallow and intellectually stimulating. He did the opposite to what any marketing firm would encourage you to do. He raised the cost. He told his audience, drink my blood. A lot of people walked away that day. And he lowered the advertising. He heals people and says, don't tell anyone what's happened. We can be confident that some will reject the message, and it's not necessarily our fault, because we're trying to represent Jesus. No one presented Jesus better than Jesus. And what do they do with him? Crucified him. We can't make God seem nicer or easier to get to than he himself chooses. He doesn't ask us to be his lawyers. He asks us to be his witnesses. It's not my job to defend God's ways. So, what can I do in response to the battle cry regarding a sharper witness? Just like every other week, first point is, yes, Lord. It's like the what the drill sergeants was. When I shout, jump, you ask how high on the way up. So I'm saying, yes, Lord, and I'll discover what that means on the way. I know for, for some of us, we might be hesitant sharing the gospel in our places of work because we don't quite know what we're going to say. Don't worry about it. Open your mouth and see what comes out. Be willing to sacrifice your platform. Your commander-in-chief is saying, charge. Just, just get on and charge. Be on the lookout and ready to speak and act. What's he up to? I just want to be part of it. Fall in love all over again with the message. What a message we have to share. What a privilege we get to speak to a dying, lost world of the shepherd that came and found them. And be willing to sacrifice that platform. Just like Tanya talked about last time. She said, I was really nervous about being thought of as some weirdo and that the waitress was telling all of her colleagues, don't go back to table 13. They're fruitcakes. But she said, but it was so important for me. I was so desperate that she would know that God loves her, that that overcame my respectability.
Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at Lifeline UK.